if you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking today in particular at Romans 1 verse 6. Romans 1, 6, and let me just read for us the, uh, the verses leading up to that. At the beginning of the book of Romans, it says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. And then we come to the verse that we're in today, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. When we come to God... Our relationship with God must be personal. It must be personal. It must be individual. It's not only individual. There's plenty of people throughout the world who claim to have an individual relationship with God and claim to love God on their own and on the basis of loving God on their own then say, well, therefore, I don't need the institution of the church. To which God would say in 1 John that if you don't love the children of God, you don't love God. If you don't love your brother who you can see, then how can you claim to love God who you cannot see? So if we actually love God, we are going to love God's people. We are going to love the church. We're not going to dismiss it as a hypocritical institution. We're going to love God's people. But you must personally believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't ride anybody else's coattails into heaven. You cannot go before God and stand in the day of judgment and say, but I grew up in church, but my parents were Christians. I memorized Bible verses around the dinner table. God let me in. You cannot say before God on the day of judgment, I attended every time the doors of the church were open, which I hope more of you will do. But you can't come before God on that day and say that and say, I was a part of the people. I was around it all the time. This must come to you individually. It must be to you. It must be including you, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As we, as we come here, we should, we should thank God for, for what it says in this verse. As believers, we should thank God for, for, for the love that he has given in our hearts toward him. That for, for, for us who love him, we should thank him that he has overcome the sinful tendencies and desires and nature of our hearts. He has even overcome our free will that would have chosen against him, our free will of self-destruction. He's changed our will, and he's called us according to his purpose. And that's what this verse is about, and we should thank him for that. And for those who this has not happened to, if, if you are here and you're listening to that, I hope and pray that today would be the day that he would do that, that God would take hold of you personally, you personally, and draw you to himself, and take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh to embrace Jesus as your Savior and your master, and your Lord, your prophet, your priest, and your king.
Let's think about the words that are here that he uses in applying all of these great and lofty concepts that have come before this and the few verses that we read that are the beginning of the the book of Romans. These verses that are so rich that we've spent kind of a long time going through them because there's just so much packed in there. And we come down to verse 6 and he says all of this, all of this about Jesus Christ and the gospel that was proclaimed through the Holy Scriptures in, in times past, and then the gospel that came in the presence of, of Jesus himself, and Jesus being humiliated, and Jesus being exalted in his resurrection from the dead, and our receiving grace and the call for the obedience of faith, the call to obey God first and foremost by believing in the gospel, all of this comes down not just in the lofty general terms to everybody out there in the world, but it comes down to you personally. He says these words, first of all, in verse 6, including you. Personal application. Guys, whenever you hear different philosophies of preaching, maybe you are ever around those discussions and maybe you're not, there's different ideas about how exactly preachers are supposed to apply the text personally to people. There's different ways to do that. There's different levels of doing that. There's preachers who say, oh, I don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit applies it. And then I don't think that that's really what the Bible says, but there's all kinds of theories about it. But here's what it comes down to for you. You need the word of God to be personally applied to you. And it doesn't matter how great the preacher that you're listening to is at bringing it home, you need it applied to you not just by a guy standing up there. You need it applied to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. You need a personal realization. This is not just a general truth. This needs to be about me. When Paul says, including you, he, he, there's, there's a lot packed in there, but when, when he says that, he's, he's referring back to the previous verse where he says that there is an apostleship that Paul has been entrusted with that's also passed down to us in the great commission about bringing about the obedience of faith, calling people to believe in Jesus. He says, among all nations. And then he says, personally, to the church in Rome, he says, including you including you. Part of what you see here is that Paul's apostolic authority is not something that is just general but personal. Paul's entrustedness with the gospel from Jesus. Back when it says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, that is something that comes down personally to each and every member of the church in Rome And it's something that comes down to each and every member of the First Baptist Church of Matawan. And when we think about that, including you and that that authority to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations, which includes you, what that comes down to is listening to the Bible. It says in Ephesians that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You know what that means is that we are built upon the foundation of the word of God that God delivered to us in the Old Testament through the old prophets and in the New Testament through the apostles that he entrusted with his word. 
And so when we open up the Bible and we say, well, who is this for? Where is this from? What is this to? There's all kinds of answers to that. You know, you can go back to, to Genesis and say, well, the author of this is Moses, and here's the historical context in which he wrote. And you can go through uh, all of the books of the Old Testament and say, well, when did this prophet write? Who was it to? You can go to the New Testament and say, well, Luke was a physician. What was his context? Who was he writing to? And, and what was going on in the church in Thessalonica? And you can come here and you can say, what was going on with Paul? What was going on in Rome? What was this? What was that? And all of that matters to a degree. But when he says, including you, what Paul is not saying here is, I want everybody who ever reads this letter from now on to just think about Paul's relationship with the church at Rome. No, this is a general statement of if everybody in the world has been put under the authority of Jesus, if all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, as he says in Matthew 28, and if he has entrusted his disciples to make disciples of all nations and to be with them always, then that apostolic authority and that gospel call applies to the church in Rome, not because they're the church in Rome, but because they're human beings created in the image of God. And in particular, because they're human beings who have been called effectually to faith in Jesus. You need to know that this is personal for you. Here's what it says in, in John, 1 John 4, 6. John says, we, and by we, he's talking about the apostles. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. You know how we take that? Whoever is from God listens to the Bible. That's where you find the apostolic teaching that Jesus has entrusted and passed down to us as the word of God. If we listen to the Bible, if we take it seriously, if we know this is for me, that is evidence God has taken you to himself. But if you won't listen, no matter how much you say I love God, if you won't listen to the word that Christ entrusted to the apostles that we call the New Testament and to the word that Christ entrusted to the prophets that we call the Old Testament, you won't listen. He says, you're not from God. Guys, this needs to be personal. You know, you know what it's like when, when you're at, uh, at a sports stadium and, uh, and there's a little break and they, they start panning the camera of the jumbotron around to people in the crowd. You, you know that look that comes across somebody's face when they go from having no idea that they're on camera to realizing that they're on the jumbotron? And different people treat it different ways, but it's really funny <laughs> to see somebody who's just kind of going about their life, maybe picking their nose. You never know what they're going to be doing. Then they realize they're on camera, and it's like, oh, me, me. Guys, you need that right now. <laughs> you're, you're sitting in a crowd. The Bible is being preached but you need to know that it's not just sitting in the crowd hiding there where you can pick your nose. You can't pick your nose right now anyway, I know, because you're masks. You need to know this applies to me. God is looking at me. This matters for me. Or, or even that feeling, maybe not even the jumbotron, just being in the doctor's office waiting room. You're in there. You might just be in there with three other people, but when that nurse pops through the door and she says your name, 
boy, suddenly you're the star of the room, right? There's that weird feeling, my name has been called. I'm not just a person in the waiting room, this is about me. Guys, we need to, we need to know this. When you're in church, what if the preacher starts calling your name? Oh, that'd be weird, wouldn't it, Ross? <laughs> Katrina. Dave. Hey, Jerry. Isaac, how's he doing? How you doing? You know the old preachers a long time ago, they, they used to, it would be part of the service. They would call out people by name. They'd talk about what was going on in people's lives. They would talk about what people needed to change. Man, should we start it again? This is personal. It says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you trust in Christ, this is already about you. It's not, it's not a faraway group, long time past, even though that was the church at Rome. It's about you personally. It's about your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It's about your names written on the palm of God, as he puts it. And if you don't trust in Christ, this needs to be about you. There is a, a few translations out there. I just have to mention this because the NIV and, and some others may do this also. They, they add some extra words in verse 6. They say things like, including you who are among the Gentiles. As though this were evidence that everybody in the church at Rome was a Gentile. And we're not going to get into that right now. We might get into the makeup of the church at Rome a little bit more next week, as we've mentioned it earlier. But he is saying that there is a general apostleship that God has entrusted to the apostles to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations. As he's going to say later on in, in verse, 13, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. And, of course, to Jewish people as well. And he's saying, if you have been called to Christ, this is about you. And if you have not been called to Christ, ask God to bring you in. Ask God to bring you in. It has to be about you. It has to get applied to you. And you know the way that he does that is through a personal call. And that's the next thing that he says. We need personal application and it comes to us by a personal call. He says, including you who what? Who are called. You who are called. Now the kind of call that this is talking about here is not just a general call. Not just a general call. You, you think about different kinds of calls that go out. You hear about casting calls, things like that. There is a general call of God. And it's called the preaching of the gospel. Every time that the good news of Jesus goes out, the good news that sinners who are condemned in their sin can have eternal life by faith in Jesus who was condemned in our place on the cross, and that we can have that eternal life by faith alone and not by our works, but on the basis only of the work that Jesus on the cross has done. Every time that message goes out, including that time right there, there is a general call that is issued for sinners to come and to believe upon Christ in a repentant faith and to have eternal life. It goes out all the time, and there is a general call that Jesus did. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven and 28, Jesus says this, No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, 
makes it very clear, not everybody's going to come to faith. And those who do come to faith are those whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. But the very next verse, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus issues a general call to anybody who will come. And he asks us to do that. He asks us to put out there what's called the free offer of the gospel. There is a saying that has been floating around for a long time that is, has been misattributed uh, to Charles Spurgeon. He did not say this, but you've probably heard it before. Something like, if I knew who the elect of God were, I would preach to them. If the elect of God had a yellow stripe painted down their back, then I would go around lifting up shirts. But since they don't, I will preach the gospel to everyone. You might have heard that before. Spurgeon didn't say that, and Jesus didn't say that. Jesus knew exactly who the elect of God were. Jesus knew exactly who he would save, and yet he still issued a general call, a free offer of the gospel for any and all to come to him, all who are weak and heavy laden, come to him. That's a general call. That general call is something that some listen to and some don't. In fact, you'd say most don't. In Jeremiah 7.13, God says, When I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Jesus says in Matthew 22.14, Many are called, but few are chosen. There's a general call, but the kind of call that it's talking about here in verse 6 is the choosing call. It's the effectual call. It's the kind of call that doesn't just come out of my mouth when I tell you the gospel. It's the kind of call that comes by the Holy Spirit when he comes like a hurricane of wind and blows down your disbelief and takes out your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. This is the kind of call that we call regeneration. This is the kind of call that actually makes it happen. When, when he says those who are called of Jesus Christ or to belong to Jesus Christ, the kind of call that he is talking about is the kind that is spoken of in Romans 8.30 when he says those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is what we call effectual calling. Sometimes if you're using that TULIP acronym for Calvinism, it's the I, it's called irresistible grace. It's the kind of grace that comes that doesn't get resisted because the Holy Spirit takes away the resistance and replaces it with a willing submission. Effectual calling. Here's the way the Baptist Catechism talks about it. It says, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery Enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. There's the free offer of the gospel that is a general call, but within that the Holy Spirit is able and powerful to make the gospel into the power of God unto salvation for those whom he chooses to do that. Many are called but few were chosen. And we're going to set our minds for just a minute on the nature of this effectual call of the Holy Spirit and what the Bible says about it. It says in Acts 16, 14, 
He was just an example of this. That says, there was, there was one who heard us. As, as Paul and his companions were preaching the gospel, there was one who heard us, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You ever tell somebody the gospel and it's like they just won't even listen? Or you tell them the gospel and they say, they say something back to you even though it seemed like they were listening and it's just like completely not the gospel at all. I just didn't get it. Are you sitting in here right now and you can't pay attention? Pray that God would open your ears. Pray that God would open your heart. You know why Lydia paid attention to the gospel? It's because the Holy Spirit turned her heart. It it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Maybe even right now you need to ask God, God, help me. God, focus my mind. Open my ears and my heart to pay attention to the gospel. But you also need to know the fact that you believe, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have been born again, the reason that that happened is not because you were the kind of person who would believe. It's because the Lord opened your heart. The Lord worked powerfully. This call is an effectual call. This call, if you're following along on the bulletin, there's some points that are there. It says it is a predestined call. It's a predestined call. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. When God calls somebody to himself and saves them, when they come to that moment of conversion, regeneration, being born again, it says the reason is not because of something in them. Believer, the reason was not because of something in you. The reason was not because of your works. The reason is not because you had the kind of good works or the kind of good words or the kind of good heart that God was looking for. You didn't. The reason is because of God's predestining purpose. It's because of God's own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Ah, praise God for that. This call is a predestined call. This call is a gracious call. Gracious meaning we don't deserve it, but it's freely given. We don't deserve it, but it's freely given. This is 2 Timothy 2.25. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, what it said there, that repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about conversion. And I'm not talking about conversion in terms of the outward things that you go through religiously when you join a religion. I'm talking about the conversion of the heart that Jesus talks about. I'm talking about coming to faith in Jesus, which is something that must happen. You must be converted even if you grew up in this religion you must be converted in your heart. And it says that when that conversion happens, that repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, it says God grants it. God may grant them repentance. That's a gracious gift. What we're seeing there is that that effectual call of God to take us and to save us, to bring us in by the Holy Spirit, that's a gift. 
That's not something you bring to God. That's something God brings to you and grants you. And we can thank him for it. And we do thank him for it. And that's one of the most common prayers in the New Testament is thanking God for giving the gift of faith to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This call is gracious. We see, let me read you some, some more verses that show this. And in Titus 3, 4, it says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, wait, 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 wait. Ah, here we go. Okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me there. All right, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He just says it again. It's because of his mercy. It's a gift that he gives. Not based on us, based on his work. The washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Acts eleven eighteen, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Oh, what a good thing. It's granted. It's a gift to be called effectually, to repent, to believe, to have eternal life in Jesus. We thank God for it. it. It's a drawing call. That's the next thing on your outline there. It's a call that draws us. It draws us. Jesus says in John six forty four and 45, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Guys, to come to Jesus, you need God to bring you to Jesus. You need God to draw you to Jesus. I had a brother in Christ who several years ago, he was, he was kind of working through some of these doctrines in his mind, and he was saying, you know what, I, I don't think... I don't think that I'm quite there and believing about the, this stuff about predestination and election and God having irresistible grace. I don't think I'm quite there because I don't think that that's what I experienced. I said, well, what, what do you mean? What, what did you experience? And he said, well, it took me a long time to decide to trust in Jesus. You know, I kind of remember when I first heard about it and I saw these people who were following Jesus and, and I was thinking about it and I looked into these things and I studied this and I studied that and it, it took me a long time. So I, I don't think that God just instantly changed my heart. And I said, brother, look, the Bible says he draws you. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Well, I'm not a fisherman, but when you catch a fish... The fish doesn't just, you don't just like tell the fish, come here, and the fish jumps out. You draw it in, right? That's it's what God does too. There's sometimes when that drawing is very quick. There's sometimes when God very, very quickly just scoops a net down and snatches a fish out of the ocean. There are times when people have never heard the gospel. They walk past a street preacher, they hear it, and they fall on their knees, and they trust in Jesus. And there's other times when it takes some drawing and some time, but every bit of that, according to Jesus, happens by the gift and the will and the call of God. Not by the will of man. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to draw us in. He says, no one can come to me. I'm glad it doesn't stop there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
I'm so glad about that. We need to learn from the Father. We need to be taught by God. This is a drawing call. It is a powerful call of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 says, We preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, you hear that word called? To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This kind of calling that brings us to faith shows us God is powerful. The Christ is powerful. The cross of Christ is powerful. Jesus says in John 3, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit giving an effectual call to save someone, to cause them to be born again. He says it's like wind. And when we hear that, sometimes you might think to yourself, oh, it's like a gentle breeze in a garden. You think, think more hurricane here. Think more tornado. Think I had all kinds of strong walls built up around my heart to protect myself from the need to repent and to believe in Christ, to pretend that this did not apply to me. And God came by the power of the Holy Spirit and ripped them down and took hold of my heart and pulled me out of death and into life. Jesus comes and he says, you must be born again. And that being born again comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how it's put in, in 1 Thessalonians 1. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, he says, Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, here's how I know God elected you to salvation. He chose you. It's because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That is effectual calling. That is the call of the Holy Spirit, where the gospel comes, and when the gospel comes, that there is the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about full conviction, to change hearts and minds, to draw people to himself. Oh, it's good. This is a will-changing call. That's the next point you have there, will-changing call. I am so, so glad that God has not left me up to my free will. I don't, I don't know how, how much you've thought about this, but free will is really, really overrated. Now, we have to, have to say, yeah, we are, we are 100% responsible for our actions. Our will really is our will. God really will judge us for our sins as those who willed to sin against him. But you know what? If you were left up to your free will, you would not choose God. You wouldn't. If you want to know what happens when, when wills are free, look at the Garden of Eden. When they were left to the freedom of their will, what did they do? They sinned against God, and now here we are in this mess. And our wills are not even as free as Adam and Eve's were. We, we weren't born free. We were born enslaved. We were born enslaved to sin. It says in Romans chapter 10, it says, or excuse me, Romans chapter 3, there is no one who seeks God, not one. 
If, if God were going to look and to see out of all humanity who would choose to believe the gospel and be saved, the answer would be no one. No one. Unless the Father who sent Christ draws you. No one could, no one would come to Jesus unless God intervened with a will-changing call. That's what it's talking about in Ezekiel. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's saying, if you have come to trust in Jesus, it's because God took away your will not to trust in Jesus. He took away your old hard heart. He gave you a new heart of flesh to love Christ. And we don't look at that and say, God, how dare you? You are not a gentleman to me. No, that's not what we say. We say, God, thank you. Thank you for not leaving me in my slavery and my blindness. Thank you that I, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. None of us who have come to trust in Christ are upset that God has changed our wills. We are extremely happy about it. We're extremely happy about it. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we come to will what God would have us to will, it is because God has been good to us. That's what that's saying. Romans 9.16 says that the salvation, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God who has mercy. We're not saying that there's anybody who's going to heaven who doesn't want to. There's not anybody who is, is trying really hard not to trust in Jesus and they're going to find themselves in heaven. What we're saying is that God can intervene and change it and cause us to believe. And if, you don't, if, if you're not sure about that, just consider Paul. Consider the writer of this letter that we're looking at. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. When, when Jesus came to him and saved him, let me just read it to you, what happened. Acts 9, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. That was because he was trying to persecute Christians and see Christians drawn off into prison and, and killed. And it says, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now, what if the next verse were, but Paul decided not to? No, that's not going to be the next verse. Paul, at that moment, when he was on the road to Damascus, his will was dead set against Jesus. And do you know what Jesus did? He intervened. He intervened graciously, and he called him to himself. And, and he overcame the hardness of Paul's heart, and he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gave Paul a heart of flesh to believe, and he called him to be an apostle. That in itself, that, that word called is back in verse 1. Paul couldn't say no to the call to be an apostle, but he also wouldn't say no to the call to be an apostle. Guys, if God calls you to himself to be saved, you would have said no before he called you. But when he works on your heart, you have the scales from your eyes fall off 
and you see Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. Oh, it's good. It's a life-giving call. A will-changing call and a life-giving call. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it tells us this about ourselves. Believer, it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. It says, you, you weren't just sort of like living a life that, that wasn't so good. It says you were dead in your trespasses. What that means is you were dead to God and alive to sin. You were functioning in a whole other realm. You, you didn't, dead men don't have the option to, to get up and do stuff. And it says, while you were dead in your sin, God made us alive together with Christ. What this reminds us of is when Jesus raised Lazarus. Lazarus was a man who had physically died. You know what Jesus did? He walked up to the tomb and it says he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now at that point, did everybody stand around wondering, will he choose to? No, it says the man who had died came out. This is a life-giving call. Jesus was not going to stand there embarrassed, like, oh, I couldn't raise that man from the dead. Or that man that I raised from the dead has chosen not to come out and has chosen not to follow me. No, this is a call that is effectual. And that's just a picture of what it looks like when God raises us from the dead spiritually. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, but God, while we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. It is a life-giving call, and it's a life-changing call. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, let God, uh, it says, God said, let light shine out of darkness, and he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has given us light in Christ. He's given us life, and he's changed us. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You don't get born without life change, do you? Somebody who has been born from the womb, they don't go about their life like they did when they were in the womb. It's a newness of life. And if you're born again, there is a difference that that makes. It's life-giving. It says to all who did receive him, this is John 1, 12, all, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh, life-giving, life-changing. So that we can see where has God given this life? It's in those who believe and who repent. I, I, I want to, if you're in any way familiar with, with where Jesus says, you must be born again. You might know that those verses where he says you must be born again come right before the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. John 3.16, Jesus tells us that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what he's saying is, if you believe in him, you have been born again. And shortly after that, he gives a little bit more evidence of what it looks like to be born again, which includes repentance. Repentance. It's a kind of faith that repents of sin. He says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light. He's saying you must be born again. You must be called by the Holy Spirit powerfully and effectually. And we don't see the Holy Spirit, but here's what it looks like in somebody's life when that wind has blown over them, when the hurricane has knocked down their house of unbelief and has brought them to Jesus. Here's what it looks like. In repentance from sin, they come believing in Jesus. You say, I don't love the darkness anymore. I love the light. I love Christ. Jesus is my Savior. Oh, that's a gracious, beautiful, effectual work of God in your life to bring you to faith. And it's good, and it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And the last thing you should know about this call is that it's irrevocable. It can't be revoked it says this about it in 11, Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God does not call somebody to salvation and give them newness of life and cause them to be born again and then take it away. It just doesn't happen. There are those who pretend to be called. There are those who falsely profess faith in Jesus who don't continue to the end, who are not saved, but where this has actually come, in the Holy Spirit and in power, to receive the gospel as what it truly is, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, where that real call has come, it doesn't go away. It says in Jude 1, those who are called are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Kept. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But if you've been drawn by God, it says, I will raise him up on the last day. Oh, I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad about that. The call of God, the effectual call to salvation, it doesn't disappear. He keeps us to life eternal. All of that, I want to once again say, this needs to be personal for you. As a believer in Jesus, you need to know why you're a believer in Jesus. And that the reason is because you've been called of God. He has taken the general call of the gospel and applied it specifically to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if your faith is not in Christ, I'm not talking about just people who don't go to church very much. I'm talking about if your faith is not in Christ. Pray that God would apply this to your heart. If God is the one who draws you, if God is the one who saves you, if God is the one who can give you this free gift of eternal life, ask him to. Ask him to. Ask him, God, would you draw me in? Would you call me? Would you take away my heart of stone? Would you give me a heart of flesh? And you know what? He will. He will. If he's calling you, he's not going to let you go. If he is calling you to himself, you can't turn around and walk away from that. We pray that he would. Pray that he would. It needs to be personal to us. And as it's personal to us, the last words of this verse, it says, including you who were called, and called what? Called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now those words belong to have been added in our English Standard Version here. They're not there. They're there just to give a sense of what it means to be as it says in what Paul actually wrote, called of Jesus Christ. 
called of Jesus Christ is a weird phrase. It's hard to understand. And, and so they added a little bit, but I think they added words that are correct here. Called of Jesus means Jesus has called us and he has given himself to us and he has given us to himself and we belong to Jesus. If you've been called of God, then you belong to Jesus Christ and you're not upset about it. You are not upset that you are not your own. You are glad to belong to Jesus. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 3.23, you are Christ's. This is getting back to what I was telling you at the beginning. Jesus needs to be your personal Lord and Savior. You, individual human being out there hearing this, created in the image of God, you need Jesus to redeem you. You need Jesus personally to be prophet and priest and king to you. And when he calls you to himself, he is. He is. He belongs to you, and you belong to him, and you are Christ's. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Mm. Mm. You've been called to belong to Jesus. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I think one of the reasons that people don't want to come to faith in Jesus is because they want to be their own Lord. They want to control their own destiny. They want to control their own identity. They, they want to be all about what the world has become all about in the last few decades of expressing who you feel that you are in yourself on the inside and making people affirm that and just setting the agenda for yourself and being my own. And, 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 and this comes along and says, hey, wait a second. When you thought that way, you weren't your own to start with. You were a slave to sin. And when you come to faith in Christ, you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. You were bought with a price. And he goes on and says, therefore, honor God with your body. Not honor your sense of who you are in yourself. Honor God with your body. You were bought with a price. But for us who know Christ, who've been called of Christ, that's not a burden. We don't say, boy, I wish I didn't have an owner. Boy, I wish nobody was in charge of me. We say, how could I possibly have gone on without Jesus as my king personally? He has bought us. He, he, he is given to us as well. When it says we belong to Christ, there's, there's also the reality that Christ belongs to us. Jesus is given to us as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. Here's, here's one of the ways that Jesus put it. I said this at the beginning, this general call that Jesus put out, but listen to this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It is not a burden to belong to Jesus. It is freedom and life. And he is given to us. And when he's called us to himself, we can say, I belong to Jesus. And we can finally, with sincerity and in reality, pray the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I belong to him and he belongs to me. He is my shepherd. You need all of this to come to you. 
You need to personally trust in Jesus, and you need to know that if your faith is in Jesus, he has personally applied it to you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If, maybe today, the Holy Spirit is about the work of calling you to himself, let's talk about that. Go to God, ask him to do that work, ask him to draw you to himself. And and when you do, it's going to be something that we are just overjoyed because God has done it. And we want to hear about it. We want to know it. Let's talk about that. If God might be doing this work of calling you to himself. And for us who are called, let's just rejoice in this. Let's rejoice. This is for me. This has come to me. The word of God, the apostleship of the apostles, the delivering of the word of God is for me. The call of God into his kingdom is for me. The lordship of Jesus is for me. And we can thank God for that. And as we're going to see down in verse 8, we can thank God for that and other people that we see around us that he's put in our lives as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for doing it. Um, by, by the means of the general call of the gospel. God, I thank you that you've given us this good news of Christ, this, this treasure that you've put in us who are jars of clay uh, to, to deliver to the world and to call people to yourself. And I thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you do it, that you cause people who were dead in their sins to come alive. I thank you that you've done that for me. I thank you that you've done that for each of these believers, and I pray that you'd do that for more. I pray that you would do that for all of my kids. I pray that you'd do that for all of the kids of other members who are here in this church. God, I pray that you would do that for people who grew up in this church for years and years and may not have come to Christ. God, I pray that you would do that for those who have been wandering in the world, thinking that what the world had to offer might be for them. I pray that you would do that for those who, who know that they are deep in rebellion against you and their sin. I pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would awaken their hearts to believe that you'd call people to yourself. Lord, I pray that you'd apply all of this to us personally. Give us a deep and loving and personal relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.